0: Hey guys, thanks for joining us today. It's our first episode of Making Connections. We have some cool guests today. I'm Dan. Hello, I'm Paulo. And we want to thank uh, Joe, Marie,
1: and family for the sponsorship of this uh, first episode of Making Connections. We thank you very much for your contribution. And uh, it's exciting times, Dan. We, uh, we're on. We, uh, we've been talking about this for quite, quite a while. And um, so we're going to give it a try and see how, how this one works. What do you think?
0: That's it, man. Here we go. That's it's it. uh, it's definitely exciting. We got some cool guests today. We got uh, Father Arinze. He was the priest from 2016 to Paulo. You might want to correct me on that. 2019, to 20, 2016 2019. To 2019. Yeah, I was gonna say 2020, but 2019. And it, it's pretty interesting how he all ca- he came together with us and the way he invited us into the community, or at least got us into the right hands to get us into the community for the first time. So coincidentally, he was it was his first year in Attawapiskat too, back in 2016. So Ironically, he kind of led us into the community and kind of let himself out of the community at the same time with us staying with him. So you'll, it's actually pretty interesting how it all comes together, and we'll, we'll hear him speak of it. So I think it's pretty ironic.
1: Okay, let's let's do that. let's hear him talk about his experience in Arwapi'skat. You know how he experienced some of the things that we experienced as well. You know, being new in the community, have to kind of immerse himself into the uh, into into the culture. For us, obviously, it was easier because we were there for a week. He you know he was there for quite a quite a, quite a long longer time than we were. But um so yes, it's quite a refreshing take
2: and and on, on his stay there. Now let's listen to that. Uh coming to myself coming to Canada, I never was thinking of finding myself in in a place uh quite remote and uh, distant from what one might consider mainstream uh, Canada. But I found myself there maybe a year or two since uh, after I came to uh, Canada. I didn't uh, actually have the privilege of having someone uh, uh, put me through how to run a, a run parish in a place like that, because uh, after Faravizina, who was the priest who stayed there for quite a long time, stayed for like 42 years uh, there, who is now late, may God rest him, Uh, after he left, there was a priest who came also from Nigeria, but who didn't stay that long, and by the time I was uh, asked by the bishop to come to see if I can help out, uh, do uh, the missionary work there, uh, the priest who was uh, holding brief when Faravizina left was already no longer there. So I found myself, you know, uh, beginning almost from the scratch. But somehow, as providence will have it, there are. Uh, members of the community, especially the elders who uh, came to uh, help me uh, more or less uh, relax, find my feet on the ground and uh, feel somehow comfortable. Of course, I have to say for sure that it wasn't uh, an easy experience for me. Here I am, someone who came from a tropical country, Nigeria, came to Canada that is cold and was in Ottawa for a while and suddenly there was a call for me to go up north and without any preparation, without any orientation, I found myself there and I didn't even have anyone who was there before me taking care of things to say, okay, this is where the files are, this is what to do, this is what... So I didn't have what might be considered a handover note. So the elders were there to, uh, guide me through. And I, I played more, uh, more of a role of a student than a teacher, you know, because I really have to learn how things work because it is not like what I met, you know, what I, uh, what used to be the case while in Nigeria or uh, what I met when I came to Ottawa. And it is, a totally different experience, but somehow the elders were there to uh, put me through. And of course the, the other members of the community too, uh, were there, it, 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 I, I would tell it wasn't an easy experience at the beginning because I didn't have the language. I have English language and uh, for the most part, not everybody speaks uh, the Cree. Uh, not, not everybody speaks English uh, there. So, but I st- tried to find my way. Not that I learned the Cree language, by the way, I didn't learn, but I, I learned enough, you know, because I, I did a crash program, as I would say, with the elders. They were really, they saw that I, I was passionate to at least pick up one or two words. I was telling myself if I have to work well here and if I have to really gain some kind of acceptance one of the ways to do that is to also make an attempt. I know my I, it should I I know I know that I cannot speak the language like native speakers but if they see my honest attempt that might begin to be the bridge that, you know, begins to connect us, talking about connection. And I think it's really worked uh, because I, like I said, I submitted myself as a a student to everyone. I was learning from the teachers who also are like me, who came into the community. I was learning from the nurses because the hospital is just a, a, a few blocks away. So I tried to immerse myself in the community, learn from uh, people, members of the community, learn from people who are like me, who came from outside, but who are working in the community. Of course also, I used to go interact. Usually where I, I, I am in my elements is when I go to the store. I don't just go to do my grocery. But I just spent like thirty minutes uh, forty five minutes in addition to doing my grocery just to really get the feel of the community because somehow I noticed that formality does not always work.
1: So it's pretty interesting again how our father Rinzi was welcomed into the community so well, you know uh, you know being from a foreign country you know having you know, uh, a whole different uh, um, culture and and background and and people in Arua just embraced him. And we saw it firsthand, right? I mean, when we were there, people talked about Father Arenzi as if he he was somebody who really made a a difference in the community.
0: Absolutely. Um, And you know, and he's still so well respected there. So obviously he left his mark, you know, and that's that's what's pretty pretty special about him. Absolutely. Sorry, go ahead.
1: No, no, yeah, I was gonna just follow you up on what you said. That the proof is what you what is gonna say next about about the jacket, <laughs> right? That's the right. jacket. It's a That's really right. cool story yeah. that proves just that point, and also talks about the food. The food that uh, you have a really good story about food in Arwabiskats. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, in our first in our first trip there, we, we obviously didn't know what to expect. And we know that the cost of food is so expensive. So we did our best to bring as much as possible. You know, we were obviously were on a tight budget. We we're working with sponsorship money and donations. And, you know, it was amazing how, how that trip came together for the very first time. And as you know, Paul, I mean, we we're eating canned goods and You know tuna and spam and anything we could kind of just put in our bellies and get us over to the next day. It was it was a brutal week of eating, but you know what? It was a special day when the community came together and they had their TP dinner and it was a huge feast. That it's just amazing how some individuals really just put this this dinner together for an entire community and they welcomed us like with open arms and kind of invited us to, to you know take the first step at you know getting first bite at that food and it was amazing because we went from eating let's be honest terrible food that we brought to having an amazing feast of wild game and caribou and moose and beaver and and obviously one of their delicacies there is is canada geese and to to sit there and indulge in their their culture like that it was really special and while we're doing this obviously i piled up as much food as possible because it was amazing to get some food after about five days of staying there and I was talking to you and Sean at the time and I just I was had a next piece of meat in my hand because here I am just kind of at this point, just using my hands. And I think it was Sean who looked over and said, do you see what's in your hands? And it was a, it was a rabbit's head. And it was pretty amazing that I think we have a picture of it, you said. So, you know what? You got to eat it. And I did. And I enjoyed it. It was amazing food for us. So it was, it was amazing. And it's definitely a culture shock. I could only imagine, you know, her father Arunze going from Nigeria, spending very little time in Canada, but then going to the north you know, in such a remote community and, and indulging in a, in a culture that, you know, was, uh, let's be honest, was shocking to him. And, you know, obviously he transitioned so well. And I think in a short time we did the best we could too, you know?
1: Yeah. And then so, you, you pointed something really important that I had kind of forgotten. It was in the back of my mind. Uh, you, uh, you mentioned the fact that they uh, asked us to go first. Yeah, that that's, that's absolutely true. They stopped yeah. everybody and they said, let our guests go first. That's, That tells a lot about what kind of people they are. And then Father Lindsay, obviously, is going to tell us about his story, and it's going to illustrate that.
2: The elders had to uh, get me a jacket. If you notice, there's a jacket I often wear in the community. For me, it is almost like the biblical coat of many colors of David. It is almost like a mantle for me, because if the elders could see whatever they saw in me to make them take time to create that uh, uh, jacket. It is not an ordinary jacket for me. It is a jacket that really tells me that you are accepted. You are here and you are here to stay. You shouldn't be afraid. You shouldn't worry. And in a way, each time I put on that jacket, and of course they eventually made more copies of that jacket for me. So I wasn't wearing just, it's just that it's almost the same color, but I had a couple of, uh, <laughs> you know. So in general, it, it was, it looked hard at the beginning, but as the days roll into weeks and weeks roll into months and months roll into years, I was asking God for more. And suddenly, my superiors had to write and say, "Oh, you are needed back in Nigeria and all that." And I simply have to, you know, take the call again and, you know, move. So, in all, one other thing I have to say, apart from the uh, these other things I have said, is um, uh the, the food was a challenge for me at the beginning. Uh, you know, I. You can imagine, the, even the food I met when I came to Canada here in Ottawa is way, way different from what I am used to growing up, you know? And then I moved over to Atawapiskat and then I have to be introduced to uh, moose meat, you know, to uh, the geese uh, meat. And sometimes uh, you find somebody getting beaver and all that. So these are things that I started you know, learning how to uh, enjoy, and once I got the, the 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 groove and the grip of it, I I didn't let go. I I I I just totally uh, let myself uh, be part of the situation, and you know, learn from the people, and uh, eventually also let uh, learn uh, people learn from me. So. So next up,
1: we, how we have uh, Mila Morris. Myla Morris is um, was uh, the principal at Carowapiskac uh, Elementary School. The first time we implemented our um, dance program up there, and she was uh, very uh, important in the, in in the way that we carried out our future programs because she she um, fought for us to to keep to keep going back. She went to the board. She believed in what we did and what we were doing there, and it's because of her that we were able to continue the work that we started. And so she talks about a few things. And one of them is the fact that we asked her um, if she ever felt strange in Arapicat, even though she's an indigenous woman, but she comes from a different community. And she said something really interesting, didn't she then?
0: Yeah, she mentions how we're all one. And you know, in today's world, with everything that's going on with equality and diversity and everything like that, it's, it's really important that she acknowledges that. And I think... You know, she'll get in, in in further depth with it, and we'll let you guys hear it. But it's just really nice that you know, coming from an indigenous woman as well, being you know a woman, you know, where let's time, let's be honest, sometimes you know, equality isn't always equal. And she mentions that we're all one, and I think it's really important that we acknowledge that we're all human beings, and that's what we have to accept ourselves as. Diversity is beautiful. Canada is a beautiful country because we're such a diverse. Uh, country we have you know different ethnicities and it's beautiful that we could all come together but i think we have to fight to be one rather than you know fight to be against each other so i think it's pretty amazing that she could actually acknowledge that we need to just be one
3: um, well i always thought about uh being indigenous in terms of um we're, we're all one we're all one under you know indigenous people because if i go to bc there should be no difference if I go to, um, you know, overseas and there's indigenous people there. We're we're all one. When I when I when I got um, out of the plane, I I really wasn't aware because they when uh, when a person comes from a different area, a lot of people come to came to see me. You know, a lot of different people came to see me. The board members, as, you know, was was a, quite a few people. But for me, I just, you know, just got uh, got my stuff and went. And um, so it wasn't really being different, you know. Like I, to me, I they're just they're just they're just my people too. But my experience in Ottawa, Upset, um was really, really progressive for me, because um, I was a woman and I was heading the school, and I don't think they had, I don't think they had many opportunities for an Indigenous woman to head the school, so it was really um, different. I think that uh, um, I was hoping that COVID would have returned everybody back to the land and would have returned their, all the kids back to the land. But a lot of, a lot of them are being headed by um, non-Indigenous principals, non-Indigenous vice principals. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I always wondered why parents never came to school, like uh, to get report cards, um, to come and talk to the teacher, see how their child is doing. And now it makes sense. After the 215 were found in BC, now I understand. It took me a long time to understand because their fear of the school, of the, what happened, you know, um, was passed down. And, um, you know, um, but I have, to, I have to say that, you know, not all white people are bad because I was raised with two white people, so you know my my perception is different. So I mean, like not you know same thing. Not all Chinese people are bad. Not all Spanish people are bad. You know, it's just some that are. It's the ones that are in power that have dis- disintegrated our system. You know, it's um power. Power is takes away a lot. It takes mm-hmm. away your identity. It takes away your language or culture um, among our own people you know we oppress ourselves and I'm not sure if a father ever experienced that in his country you know countries oppress themselves you know like they they really they want to get ahead but they can't because so and so of their own culture is oppressing them and I, I think that's what happens with indigenous people
0: She makes mention of an incident that happened years past and the the incident that she's talking about is the 1992 incident with Rodney King and she relates it to the you know the incident the recent findings of the 215 bodies in can loops and you know obviously with hopes that it doesn't get forgotten and it is acknowledged that this is a you know this is a problem of our past but obviously not to riot and you know create major problems over it but at least definitely to have the awareness that this is the past. And these are some of the tragedies that have taken place and to not be forgotten, but to find steps to move past this and hopefully build a strong future as one, as she mentions.
1: Absolutely. And in following that, as she said, we asked her about our role as non-Indigenous peoples. What is our role in the process of reconciliation? You know, and in a small way, I think that... You know, when we started going up to Aruapiscad, and we never really wanted to be political, right? I mean, for, we just wanted to connect. We wanted to go up there, have our kids make friendships, and and create, you know, relationships that could last, right? The healthy relationships, and and so we see that role like that's how we see the role, right? That because we see the role in terms of allowing you know, these two cultures are, you know, the two cultures. Of course, you know, I mean, the rest of Canada, we cannot claim to be indigenous. Indigenous people have their own particular culture. So we, that idea of uniting these two, these two sides of Canada is something that we want to do, right? In, by forging relationships through young people. But that's our perspective, right? So we want to know what her perspective is. Let's hear her, her take on, 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 this, uh, on the non-indigenous role in the process of reconciliation.
3: I, th- I think the, I think the role is, um uh, um, to, to understand that, um, I think it would make a big difference if, um, this, this concept of who was, who was here first, you know, it doesn't matter who was here first, it, it, whether it was us or whatever, it doesn't matter because, uh, you know, of course, humans were here first. But that's the whole argument is like, well, we were here first. and We, we discovered them. How can you discover somebody that's already here? We, we, we were here and you didn't discover us. We were here, you know. And, and then it started from there. And then I always think about uh, the pharmacist and all the medication. And all those medications came from the ground. I mean, they had it all. We already had a pharmacy. We already went to the, the herbs and everything from the ground. And we had it all, you know. And it's like um, it was taken and put into a bottle and put a label on it. If they had just taken the concept of sharing, you know, sharing the knowledge, And I I always wondered where the hate came from, you know, because that's what it is when I never realized that until the 215 were found, because that's hate, you know. And the youngest one was three years old. I I call that hate, you know. And the only thing was uh, the color of our skin, you know, where we were savages. But, you know, one person I was reading, she said, How can... How can we be called savages when there was a mass grave of 215 children? Like, who's the savage, you know? And I understand that now. There's so many things I didn't understand before, before the 215 were found. And I, I am, you know, I am part of that. And um, at times it's quite honorable, you know. I am quite, quite just devastated for those children. And I was one of those people that said, you know, get over it. Like, I'm Indigenous and I'm thinking, that's all you ever heard was uh, stories about residential school and stories about this. And I, you know, I, now, okay, you know, enough is enough, you know, let's get going. Now I know it's, it's going to be scary because it's not going to be BC. It's going to go right across Canada. They're using mm-hmm. the radar, and they're going to find more bodies. I mean, in Saskatchewan, they found 75 under a building. So it's going to go right across Canada. I can see Canada, the protesters, and, you know, it, it's going to get scary, like what happened in L.A. Remember a long time ago? That, that whole city just burnt up because it was just hate, to, you know, against Black people and whatever happened. I can't remember the name of that um particular person i think he got shot or something but um yeah i i can see it if somebody doesn't grab a hold of it and try and contain it now you know right now because uh, i don't think we're over the 215 but can you imagine right across canada finding more there's going to be more and more graves you know
0: so next up you're going to hear from sean mcclair sean mcclair is a teacher at bishop Morocco Thomas Merton, and he joined us on our first trip. He's also a member, a board member of Project First Nations nonprofit organization. He has played a huge role for 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 these trips and for this initiative. As time has gone, he's you know provided his time, and lucky for us, he's been able to document all that we've done, and you know capture photos and capture videos just for us to really remember. But more importantly, for us to share our story and really get a firsthand look at it. He mentions equality. Uh, he mentions uh, discrimination against women as a, as a problem around the world, not just within certain parts and certain, certain communities. And you know, what's, what's special about that is it is a world problem. It's not just within Canada. It's, it's something that we need to acknowledge and it's something that some people, because I'm not going to say all, but some people really have to come to terms with that we are humans and we are all one, as, as Mila mentions.
1: Exactly, and they also mentioned the fact that uh, the Catholic Church has done so, so much good in the world, obviously, but they, they've done a lot of wrong. The Catholic uh, Church has done a lot of wrong to the uh, to the um, to the Indigenous community, especially in particular the uh, the, the residential schools. But still, Father Arinze was welcomed with open arms in uh, in and and which is actually you know very interesting and. And talks again about the spirit and the kindness of, of the uh, our indigenous peoples. So let's listen to that.
4: You know, I mean, I mean, worldwide, worldwide, we have we still have um, issues about equal rights for women. You know, and it's not just within in the indigenous community. I mean, it's also worldwide They're looking for equal pay, equal rights, and and all those, those types of things. You know, and. Um, same thing with the, the the politics that are involved you know people have all these self-interests that's that's not just a part of the uh, the indigenous community it's part of the world you know everybody always has a their their financial invested interests i i am a faithful catholic uh but um the Catholic community has a has a has has some owning up to do too, is because of the um because of the uh, the role that they played in their residential schools too. And I'm a, I and I'm really amazed at at you know despite the history that's involved with the Catholic Church, uh, how welcoming they were the, the people in Attawapiskat were with Father when he came in, because there's been some you know some some historical. Uh, negative things that have happened, but but regardless, you know they made you the coat <laughs> and and welcomed you and embraced and embraced what you were there for. So that there was a trust there, right? And and so it's that whole thing of, you know, we can't we can't we can't um, um, charge a whole community for the negatives of some people, right? within the Catholic community there's still there's still so many positive things that and and we're there to do good we are there as the white uh, you know white people coming from Toronto you know you can't say all white people are like this you can't say all people are like this you can't make these absolute statements so i mean it takes the interest of of special people like father like our group like myla to, to move forward, right? I mean, and have those attitudes because we're always going to be confronted with all of the negatives that have happened. But you know, like Jesus Christ, you you you, you have to be positive, right? And you we have to move forward. So so I think um, it takes initiatives like this, it takes communication, and it takes all of these things to to take all of this heavy weight and heavy burden from before and still try to make a step to, to, to move
0: forward. Next, you're gonna hear from Anthony Macedo. Anthony Macedo is a former student of Bishop Morocco and he was, joined us on our first and second trip to Attawapiskat. And since then, Anthony has maintained close relationships with us and has worked with us on many capacities. He's always the first to join us on fundraisers and really push for, you know, funding and anything that he could do. And really he's one of our youth ambassadors for Project First Nations and Project Five. He's been, he's been amazing to us. He's, he's always, you know, first to volunteer his time. And he's obviously has a tight connection with not only uh, the initiative, but he has a tight connection with the relationships that he's, he's created and in Attawapiskat and what's really special about it. And you're going to hear from him is The relationships that he created or not he created but they created and that he still stays in contact with them and I think that's really special five years later six years later that here we are we're we're still networking with them and and genuinely call them friends and that's what's really important you know and and Sean continues to talk about how this ties to education and and as educators you know we're always looking for experiential learning opportunities to create for our children, but more importantly to create for others in the in, in the country as well. And what's beautiful about this is we had this intention to go there and, and give to a community, but really and truly we always gain more than we could give. And that's that's the beauty of that exchange. It's we're we're being educated as we go there. I've been there, you know, more than a handful of times and I feel like I learned something every time I'm there. Right. So aside from making the relationships, it's very educational. I think Sean makes a good point and he, he makes mention of how it's very educational for us.
1: Yeah, And you know what, you, you made a really, val- really good point there when, when you talk about how we learn, because that's our fuel. We, yeah, we kind of see the impact we have on, on the children there and the youth and all they like when we're there. But, but we see more because we're, you know, community with them every day. The impact it has on our kids, on our, on our youth. And it's huge. I mean, to the point that they still all getting that most of them, I would say they are still involved in the in the uh, after they've left high school, they're still involved with the project First Nations and they continue to be part of it. So that that tells a lot. The education side, it's it's interesting, you know, I'm sure you probably have the same uh, experience when I talk about, you know, indigenous remote indigenous communities. First of all, people are like, okay, so hold on. There's no roads. (laughs) Right? I mean, not a lot of people know this, right? Which is, I, I particularly didn't know this for a long time. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm an immigrant to Canada, as you can tell by my accent. So, but a lot of people are, are oblivious to the fact that there are communities out there that, uh, you know, have a lot of struggles that we can, we will never accept here, right? And Sean talks about that and, you know, about the education, how it is important how important it is for us to learn and grow from it.
5: It was so many years ago. I have 16 years old, just a young kid, not knowing anything about ottawa Piscat or anything of up north and going in blind was a, a totally new experience for all of us i think i can say and it truly humbled me it changed my life forever i i can honestly say that and throughout high school there's uh, only a few things that i took with me and this will be something that i take from with me for the rest of my life um just interacting with the kids it was something i never really could have imagined before it was people just a few plane rides away a couple hours away but a totally different world we were blessed to have so many things around us where they there have so little and can appreciate life life changing, honestly. Mm -hmm. Just life changing for me.
4: Mm -hmm. I I think one of the biggest things is the education, right? I mean, uh, we we know so little of of each other. We have these uh, these communities that are so close, uh, but we we don't know anything about each other. How are you supposed to, you know? We we have to know. We have to know our neighbor, you know. When when uh, we have the we have the I always teach the parable of the good Samaritan. You know, who is your neighbor? Your neighbor is everybody. And and when we have these neighbors that are right there that are so close but we still don't know them. So I think the education part is such an uh, an important part of it. I I, I taught I, I taught indigenous studies for the first time this year and my all of my students finally had a different realization of of what it means to be an indigenous. You know, just just through teaching in, in a classroom and not even having the experience of meeting anybody.
0: This next part is is funny when Father Arinze we we make mention that when we went to Atuapiskat, I believe it was our last time, Balo, that we were there. Uh, we we went for one night, and we had to deliver books that were donated from First Book Canada. We made the commitment to get them there, and you know, put a little library in place and hand out books to to the community. And we went there with you know a short stay, one night stay, and we had our accommodations planned, and everything was going according to plan. When we got there, we reach our accommodation, we started unpacking stuff, or you know, scrounging through some of the food that that we had and only to find out and we learned that our accommodations weren't actually available to us. There was, a, there was a change in plans and we weren't notified and we, you and I had nowhere to stay. And, you know, it, it was shocking to us, but the beauty of it, and I, I mentioned it to you at one time, is at no point did we panic when we reflected on that. We looked back at that and at no point were we panicking and being like, oh my goodness, we have nowhere to stay. We're in Attawapiskat and we have nowhere to stay. Just, we cannot... just, sorry for
1: cutting you off. Just just to give people's perspective perspective on what it is like. I mean, it's not like going to you know to Timmins or, or to North yeah. Bay and having a selection of motels and hotels to stay at. I mean, it doesn't work like that, right? I mean, there's a limited uh, possibility. There are limited possibilities of places you can stay. Okay, sorry, go on. No,
0: no, you're absolutely right, and I should have mentioned that. It's like it's not like you have ten hotels to choose from or, or motels, and you know nothing. Nothing is is free there, and You know nothing is free anywhere in life when you have to pay for accommodation so you know we were kind of scratching our heads and we're like what are we going to do but you know what we didn't worry we carried on with our day and andrew kastashian caught wind of it we mentioned it to him and we were just thinking maybe we could just kind of stay in the rec center where we stayed the first time and just crash on the floor if we needed to because we've done that before so it was no big deal but uh you know it's amazing how father arinze stepped up and he, he gave us a place to stay right in the church and he kind of was our savior to getting into the Attawapiskat and he was kind of our savior right at the end. So it's amazing how it came around in full circle. It was his first year there and his last year there, but yet he, he kind of somehow we tied into it all and it was really beautiful and he was our savior. He was kind of like our God of Attawapiskat and you know, he and he's so humble because he doesn't realize how helpful he was to us and he, he doesn't realize the impact that he had on us throughout those those years that he was there. But and, you know, when you remind him, it kind of comes to comes to it comes to his memories like, oh, yeah, I did do that. And I guess he didn't think it was a big deal because he's so used to helping people. But at the end of the day, he was our savior and it was yeah. one of our best accommodations, which I'll let you discuss.
1: Oh, yeah. He it, it was surprised when we told him that. I mean, we actually had Wi-Fi that worked, you could, we could call our families yeah. <laughs> through WhatsApp, finally, right? <laughs> we had a TV that actually played something. <laughs> no, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and the accommodations are great. You know, you're, you had your own way. didn't have to share a bed. We didn't have to share a room. It was, was amazing, you know. And I know those are little things, that, but, you know, our experience up there is amazing. And, and, and I think it makes it special when you go with the boys and we all – share the same space. It's, it's great. But it's also good to have that, you know, comfort once in a while. And we did have that through Father Rinse. And when you say everything costs money, just so people have an idea, I mean, of course, and I, you know, you know you totally get it how, you know, there there's little opportunity for them to make money because we don't have, they don't have an influx of people coming in all the time, right? So motels do charge more than no, the, you'd pay down here, but this will rely on 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 donations. We, we just felt that it would be a waste for us to spend four hundred dollars on a night. Right? It's interesting how we got to Arwapiskat right about the same time that Father Rinzi got there as well. That was, and he took our first call right a few months or a few weeks after he arrived in Arwapiskat. But we also saw him as he was preparing himself to leave. And that was, uh, we had a, a, an emotional interaction with him. We, we had the opportunity to, to uh, spend some time with him as he, uh, as he was also preparing himself uh, to, to leave the community. And that happened to be our last time uh, in, in the community as well in 2019.
2: Like the the uh, the the book of Ecclesiastes will say, "Time to uh, come and time to go." There's a time for everything. But by the third year of my being in our that I already got to know many people. Uh, many people have already gotten to know me, and it, it seems that uh, the dynamism between uh, the community and myself has really come to a point where we can say we we are not doing it. And then I ha- I have to leave. So. Uh, on the one hand, uh, a part of me was like, "Okay, a relief! I oh. am finally going back to where I originally come from—a home, my home." You know, I will reconnect with my family, with my mom, with my siblings, and all the people I have always known—at least not just uh, on virtual level, but you know, on face-to-face level. Uh, that looks joyful, you know. But on the other hand, I have so much found moms, fathers, brothers, sisters, uh, nephews, uncles, cousins here in Atopiska that I'm like, if I, going back to Nigeria, would will be trying to learn again how to have father, mother, uncle, brother, sister, nephew, niece, and all that. Yes, you know. It seems I have found a new home, <laughs> you know, kind of that living is, I have all, almost become part of this place and this place has all, almost become part of me that going back to Nigeria will look like to, even though it's like three years, but that three years was really very momentous because it was packed with all kinds of uh, experiences that uh, I, I'm not sure I, I gained within a, a span of time larger than that outside, because it's a totally new, it's a different, experience, different way of being. One of the different ways of being I want to mention here, time, the, the understanding of time is totally something that we, you know, it's, it's a very profound way of experiencing time in our kind of different from the chronological time that we have all over the place. As a matter of fact, I used to say that time in Atopiskat is when when the people are ready, not when the clock tells you this (laughs) is the time. And if you don't understand that logic, you will lose whatever that brought you to the place. So I, I, I found myself learning how to see how time works there. And talking about the emotional experience, offering you accommodation, the best that you ever got, I never realized, (laughs) you know, You know that, but thanks, thanks be to God, it it was available, and I, I, and I was, I was just an instrument, I would say. One thing I know that uh, I tell myself wherever I go is that wherever you find yourself, uh, with whatever cultural baggage you have, uh, there might be something that. God has placed you there to uh, help bring about. Uh, bringing that in about doesn't necessarily need to be colossal to make it an impact or different. But they, just your even being there, available, and listening. I, I believe that listening is very, very important because it is when you listen that you learn. It is when you listen that you understand. And it is when you listen that's, uh, to me, some form of healing and gradual step forward, you know, takes uh, place. So I uh, and uh, listening also takes requires being uh, patient with uh, people. Not uh you one can get offended. You might not decide how of, uh, how somebody offends you, but you you can to some degree control what you do with that thing that comes to you as a offensive so it, it doesn't mean that uh, in atopiska because of course I, I looked different when i came to atopiska no doubt you know i'm not from there you know and i looked different in a in a completely different way because um i'm from africa i'm from nigeria i'm black you know and it is uncommon to see a black person in in, in mainstream canada is common but it's quite uncommon to see a black person in an environment like that. At each moment, there's also this element of God shall provide. If, if there, is, there is a will, there will always be a way, you know. So that leap of faith is what, to me, uh, we can use, like, you guys too, took a leap of faith. You know, coming to a top uh you didn't know anybody except the fact that we call you called and we connected, and look at how it has blossomed. You know, um Anthony still has as a, he began as a student, now I'm finished as a student, but still have deeper connections with members of the autophysical community same here too with me I still do have that connection because even while I was in Nigeria I still get calls and occasionally I still you know when the internet permits because the internet just like you guys used to experience when you come to autophysical save the time you stayed in the rectory the internet back home is not as strong as it is here you know so but that connection uh uh, has, God has created that bond, you know, for good or bad, for uh, s- uh, the, some of the, the, the dark chapters of the, the history of Canada uh, with the uh, the church and the residential school, we still find pockets of people who are making uh, a difference. That doesn't take away the dark chapter, you know, but if we look at the brighter side of it, then, then that can help us deal with the DACA side and then heal together.
0: This next part, Mila mentions the loss of her two daughters and how it still impacts her every day. And granted it should, I mean that's something that's pain that you'll never you'll never that will never fade away. But it's when you hear these situations and the findings of these 215 bodies in Canloops, loops it really just kind of resonates with her and it brings back memory to, you know, the loss of her own children. And it's, it's sad. And it, you have to, you do know, have to, you have really have to feel for her. And, you know, it's, it's really deep when you hear her speak of it and you have to understand where it comes from. So, you know, we, we have to stay compassionate to these, these past situations and it's unfortunate. No parent should ever have to lose, lose their children.
1: Well said then. So let's, let's just go straight into that then.
3: I spoke to some people and, um, They, uh, you know, like us, you know, like even you and perhaps father, we don't, we are fortunate because we, we haven't really experienced that. We can't, we can't speak for these people because, um, you know, the 215, it it has affected everyone. Just like how I lost two daughters, like, Paul, you can't. Imagine that because, you, you know, you have your children. So I guess in some ways, um, saying that, um, you know, flip the pancake and look at the positive, um, I cannot just imagine that reserve that is um, that lost those children, you know, um, to, I mean, I understand that. I've always done that too, like flip the pancake and think positive. Um, but it must be hard for that nearby reserve um, to be uh, touching them that closely, you know? And it blows my mind that 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 particular... um, that particular residential school became an Indian day school, and it closed in 1996. And it blows my mind because in 1996, I was going into... Uh, university to study to be a teacher you know in 1996 you know it it didn't touch me that that particular school shut down so late you know and um so this story is uh there was a knock on their door at 5 a.m this was maybe last week and he rushed to the door and they said Um, mom is saying that somebody's breaking into her house, so they ran over there. There was nobody there. So she said there was two white people trying to break into her house, and they looked around, there was nobody, and they talked to her. And they said, "Um, uh, because of the 215, it's a certain age that is having their flashbacks. And it's, um, I don't know, maybe they're 70, 70 years old now, 80 years old. They're, they're alive and they, um, their experiences of residential schools coming back. And all they said was, you know, go check on your elders because these things are coming back. But then there was a kind of a brighter side because somebody told me, that's the reason why some elders are still here because they knew this was coming. So now hopefully the elders will guide the youth, you know, the elders that are still here. We don't have many left. Um The elders that are here. It's sort of like, we can't say that anymore. You know, like you can't say, as they said in the news, get over it because can't now, right? Because the 215 are there. So it's like every reality, every reality we ever thought of, it's right there now. You know, it's right in front of us.
0: I think it's really special. Myla makes mention of the strength and how strong the Cree people are. And I, I think, and I understand that when we go there. And obviously, she understands it at a, at a much higher level because she's, you know, worked there and she's an indigenous woman herself but she's obviously spent more time in Adowathusgat but when you you hear how strong they are and you have to understand where that comes from aside from you know from the 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 pain of some of the past the the past you know incidences that have happened over the years but just the lack of things that they they have to deal with on a daily basis which Paulo you'll mention but I think it's a huge compliment to the Cree people when when another indigenous woman mentions how strong they are
1: Exactly, and and like you said, we are we are witness to that. You know, they they go through a lot. When we went there in two thousand and sixteen, they have they had they were experiencing suicide crisis. They had just called state of emergency, but somehow they find ways to surpass that and continue life and continue living. You know, and and not only the fact that they continue to live because obviously you have to survive, but just the the, uh, the 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 empathetic the sympathetic way in, in which they welcome people you know they're so they're still kind you know it's like they can they are able to hide the pain and 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 continue to to show compassion continue to show kindness even in the face of 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 a lot of hurt of a lot of pain. And that that's that's very special, you know, and and that's a great lesson for for us adults, and for for the, the the youth that have the opportunity to to experience that as well. So let's listen to that.
3: You know, the Cree people are considered very strong. Uh, my descent is uh, OG Cree. Like I left there in twenty eighteen, I still have friends there. You know, that text me and uh, it was um. It was a very, very interesting and um, learning, good learning experience. So many people wanted to come there, you know, and to do the programs for the kids. And uh, I think the kids really enjoyed enjoyed the programs mm-hmm. uh, that came that came and went. And um, I think that's the um, the key is consistency. For the kids, because um, that, that goes way back to residential school, right? You know, it did go, uh, somebody's there and all of a sudden they're not there, you know? <laughs> and it, um, and then kids, they take that to heart. They said, we did something, right? They won't say that to you, but they'll say it among themselves. Mm-hmm. They'll say, you did something or you. they'll blame each other. That's why they're not here. That's why that teacher left. That's why this person left. That's why we never think the way they think, eh? because we think they're just, and, and kids are um, like, um, they're resilient. Yes. that that's, I think that's how we survive. That's mm-hmm. how I survive too. I saw some of the posts from Atahuapiskat and the, some of them posted um, to my non-Indigenous non-indig- friends were still friends, you know? And I thought that was really a strong statement saying that you know we have we, we this thing happened to us, but we still have non indigenous friends right and um yeah it's um it's really really amazing the um, capacity for being resilient, the capacity for being flexible i think uh non i think indigenous people have are Have the ability to be so flexible, you know, to be stretched in different ways and to uh, accept.
0: On a lighter perspective of the strength of the Cree people, I remember our first time there, Paulo, we we really went through some uh, cultural experiences with the sweat lodge and we went swimming in the river. And if you remember correctly, the river was the coldest water I'd ever been in. (laughs) And you and I happened to go in and you know I think maybe two or three kids joined us and I remember half the rest of the team like they were just tippy-toeing in and then they backed out because it was so cold but I remember a couple of the local kids might have been seven or eight years old and they were jumping right in and they were laughing at us and making fun of us so I mean talk about strength I mean here we are, we think we, we, we live and survive cold winters, but when you go there, I mean, it, it's another level, let's be honest, right? And, and these kids are jumping into this cold water. Our kids couldn't get more than their ankles in before backing out, and they were calling us names, laughing at us. And it was, it was really funny. I mean, it's something we can look back on and still laugh at. But And then when we talk about the sweat lodge, I mean, that's another extreme. That, that's the, that's the, the hottest temperatures i had ever had to sit in. And obviously, we did it voluntarily, and it was it was a beautiful experience. But again, half of our kids couldn't even step foot in it. And then there was a couple kids there that, again, maybe eight, nine years old, wearing a pair of jeans and jumped right into it <laughs> without a problem. And here we are with, like, you know, bare skin, and we couldn't handle it. And these guys are just sitting in there laughing at us because they're just calling us names, and we couldn't handle it, right? So I think it's pretty funny, and, you know, it's something we can laugh about now. But we definitely, when you talk about strength, I mean, you know, you really get accustomed to your culture. And, and I think it's a huge compliment. That, and they are very strong people as, as a culture and just, you know, just as, as human beings.
1: But let's be honest, you and I, you know, the, I think the only reason we really endured that uh, those two sessions of 15 I, feel, I thought it was 15 minutes, right? 15 minutes each yeah. of the sweat lodge is because we needed to prove to the kids that we could do
0: it. Because I it was, was just... totally showing up. <laughs> it Honestly. was a total show up moment. <laughs> it was know. like, these guys can't handle it. I can't back out. I got to show them that we can.
1: <laughs> I agree. And
0: that was the same with jumping in that water. I mean, there was a time I was talking to you. It was hard to get my words out. I felt like my chest was caving in because it was so cold. That's right.
1: You know. <laughs> well, that's, you know, those, and, and, and Anthony was part of that first trip and he was part of that experience. And he talks yeah. next about how the, the program impacted him so, so, so greatly that he wants to continue to be part of it. It changed his life, he says. And, yeah. you know, and we can see that. I mean, we go up there and it's very emotional. We depend on, on, on each other really. I mean, there's no distractions, you know, either we're working or we're, we are at the, at the lodge talking or engaging in different activities because the Wi-Fi, you know, if it, it, only one or two of us can go on, on, on the phone at, at a time, right? Yeah. I mean, the Wi-Fi was weak where we stayed and, uh, and, and there's really nothing else, nothing else to do. Uh, Netflix didn't work you know that round circle just kept on going and 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 so we had to be creative and we talked a lot and we see the impact and anthony talks about that as well about how it impacted his life
5: i fell in love with it and to this day i'm still in love with it and will continue to keep going until (laughs) forever (laughs) there is no end to this honestly you guys are a family to me and Going out to these communities, we build our family even larger, and I I just love to see it.
0: John has a beautiful story about the rosary that he purchased, and again, it's just how Father Arinzi ties into it in Atuapiskat. So I think it's really beautiful, and we'll let him obviously tell the story. But it's just amazing to see how how again how I said before how Father Arinzi just ties into us in so many ways and has so much impact on us, and he doesn't even realize it. I mean, it's just daily duties of his and. You know, he just naturally just does these things out of the goodness of his heart and how it impacts us so much.
1: Yeah, and he kept on saying, I don't remember that. I don't remember that <laughs> moment. I don't remember the moment where I took the call. I don't remember. But he, And that uh, says a lot about his humility. And you said it before and about how much good he does, because, you know, there's only so much you can remember. But he has impacted us in so, so many ways. And then the story of the rosary is just another. And it's a small little thing. You know, he's, he's, he's probably gone through that motions many, many times. But um, but he talks also in the end he touches upon what Myla brought up and and he he, he touches on the resilience of the uh, of the Cree people or the Indigenous people and and of course through his experience up in Atawapiskat. So let's let's listen to that.
4: I, I have a uh, I, uh, I was in Brazil just, just before I uh, went to Atawapiskat on one of the, the, the trips. So I have a, I bought a rosary there and I, uh, and I and I brought it. So I have a rosary from Bra- from. Rio de Janeiro that I took to Attawapiskat that I have blessed by a Nigerian priest. <laughs> you blessed it for me. <laughs>
2: so it's an inter- international rosary. Yeah. <laughs> an honor for me too, to uh, have that chance to uh, do the blessing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know there's something that Myla said that uh, really uh, got me which is uh, the resilience of the people I I I can uh, say that for sure it's, it's something you you just feel right on you know uh, interacting with uh, uh, people in in our even whether it is a joyful, especially like she was saying that uh, they are so f- the, the, the flexibility that you know keeps uh, expanding, kind of, it, you know, I I have to also say this that uh, I think the year I came to Atharvapiskat was the year that uh, we had a uh, in cat, Uh, um, many people who are under suicide watch for, uh, you know, for some uh, reasons. Uh, But uh, 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 as uh, uh, strong as that experience uh, was, uh, we, at the end of the day, people, the the community had a way that it was able to uh, overcome that difficult uh, moment uh, in, in its uh, in its life
1: so that's all for today then um, how was your experience with this uh, first
0: episode yeah it's just so nice to hear some voices again and you know and some faces of the past and you know we've gone through so much in this last year and a half with the pandemic and it's just nice to kind of touch base i, I mean thankfully we could even do it virtually and it's just nice to see father arindsay face again and hear from myla and all the positivity and some of the impact that we've had with our students there and obviously the impact that they've had on us. So it's it's beautiful and I, I hope people enjoy it. I mean, that, that's our first episode. You and I have been talking about sharing our story for a long time now, and, and here we are finally kind of putting it out there and I hope people follow us. I hope people appreciate what we're trying to do and obviously find ways to support us, whether it be just listening or whether it finding ways to support the cause. And you know, without without good people out there, we can't do what we do. And want to continue to do what we do on a maybe a global level or at least on a national level so you know find us on projectfirstnations.com all our links will be there on instagram facebook and youtube hit that like button and you know continue to watch and spread the word and hopefully things get on you know on a much larger scale and maybe maybe you guys could listeners could join us one day at some level
1: thank you so much for staying with us for listening and watching Well, next week, we'll be back uh, with a lighter version. We'll have uh, a couple of uh, former students who visited Aruapiskar with us. They'll be telling us uh, fun stories. Uh, We want to thank, again, uh, Joe, uh, Maureen, and Sonia for their sponsorship to this inaugural podcast. And we had a great time. Thank you so much.
0: Well, that's it, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Making Connections. Uh, We look forward to the next episode, and hopefully you join us again.